This is Coda Radio, episode 95 for March 31st, 2014. everyone and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here fantastic show goes on. My name is Chris and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Good morning, Chris. Good can morning. I you with some coffee. Yes, very, very much you can. <laughs> like, you don't have any idea how much you can offer me some coffee right now. I would take it. I wish you were here because I would drink I that coffee. If you had a coffee in your hand right now, I'd grab it and I'd just chug it like a beer. Well, that's not cool. I know. I'm sorry. That's not cool at all. I'm a little bit of a coffee jerk this morning because my phone is already ringing. Uh, so today, as we're doing the show, we're getting some of the electrical work done at the studio, the new studio. That's super exciting. Uh, but it does mean that, like, you know, they, like, have lots of questions and whatnot. And, you know, the only thing I can think about right now, I don't know if you saw this, the big story of the week, the big news. This morning, Samsung announced a 28-inch ultra-high-definition 4K LED monitor. And this thing has a neat little trick where you can plug in two computers to it at once, and it will show both screens side-by-side on the same 4K display. How cool is that? That's kind of terrible. It's six ninety nine. Oh God. Yeah, it's six ninety nine. But come on, man, think of how good your code would look in four K. That's four times larger than a ten eighty p display. Come on, tell me that would not be useful. You could think it how would. many windows you could fit on that screen. That's true. All the brackets in Objective C would be beautiful. <laughs> Those brackets would never have looked better. It's so crisp. <laughs> so speaking of Objective C, Chris, yeah. guess where I was this morning? Where? The Apple Store, baby. Oh, really? I, yeah, it's funny because I, I was actually cracking jokes that you're at the Apple store on the live stream. <laughs> I was. <laughs> yes, that's exactly where I was. I was in the Apple store at Freehold, New Jersey. I was buying a uh, Mac server. Oh, really? I'm, like a Mac mini? Like a Mac mini, yeah. <clears throat> well, well, well. And uh, what did you use this Mac? What do you need this Mac mini for? Did you get it? I did. I'm going to be doing some continuous integration, Chris. For wow. my iOS and OS X code. Oh, yes. Nice. Very nice. That sounds quite exhil- exhilarating. Why a Mac Mini, though? Just because it was... Because the- you have to. Um, oh, why a Mac Mini versus yeah. another Mac? Uh, it's the cheapest way to do this. <laughs> so I bought the low-end Mac Mini. I didn't buy the server configuration. I'm just going to install server on it, and it's going to be fine. Well, I, uh, I, I wish, you know, I could, I have, I've thought about getting a Mac Mini for a couple of the Mac things we need here, but I just can't bring myself to get a machine they haven't updated since 2012. It just hurts on the inside. Like, as a technologist, it just hurts. I, I see what you did there. Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. No, no, no. no. Uh, well, we Chris, got... it, it's silver. That's true. That's true. Is it actually metal, too, or is it plastic? It, it's metal. Okay. And it has two yeah. hard drives? Uh, this one does not. Okay. I went super low end. Well, so I got a couple – I, you know, we got some great emails this week, and uh, there's a great kind of hoopla topic that I thought we might want to talk about uh, besides the 4K display monitor, which is all I really want to talk about. And what do you think, like, later on in the show, do you want to talk about Oculus and Facebook and all that? Does that feel like something you want to wrote? Yeah, maybe we can chew on that just a okay. little bit. If we, have, if we have a little time, we can get to that because I've got some thoughts on that. Uh, so uh, why, don't, uh, why don't we start with our first bit of feedback this week? This one came in from Rob. And he says, uh, good afternoon, Coda Radio team. When episode 95 airs, it will be one week until support for Windows XP ends. And that includes security updates for Internet Explorer version 6 through 8. Uh, when that day does come, will it be safe for web developers and system admins to still target those platforms, even though Microsoft does not? I know that there will be still support for from Chrome and Firefox on XP for some time, but IE will be abandoned on that operating system. I know it's not ever wise to attempt to block a browser for public for a public facing site but would it be wise to block your explorer versions prior to nine um he says either at the server level or blocking access in javascript or server side code after microsoft pulls the plug in april there's always this worry about security being compromised and it doesn't help that we have to worry about popular and explorer versions still being used 
even if they're vulnerable. So what do you guys think about the impact of Unpatched and Explorer after XP's death? I'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for the great show, Rob. So, Mike, is the death of XP impacting you at all, and are you concerned about the security aspect of it? Not even a little. Um, it really is having no effect on anything we're doing here. I'm not, his point about potentially blocking it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either, because why would you block people from viewing your site? I mean, if you wanted to be a little passive-aggressive, you could always, you know, pop up the thing, please download Chrome or Firefox for the best experience. Um, I, I guess I don't understand, from a development point of view, why I would care to block the older versions. Yeah, I don't know what about, like, visiting your site. What about, right. what about targeting them in compatibility testing and things like that? No, not doing any of that either. Yeah. Mm. So, so for you, you're just now, if it's not supported by Microsoft, you're not bothering with testing it? Well, we're not supporting, basically, yeah. I mean, how far back is he talking? IE6, we're not supporting. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. all versions prior to 9 technically are getting yeah. support dropped, which is big. That's really big when you think about it. See, for me, it's going to always depend on the client because there could be a premium in now supporting them because nobody else is too, right? That could be like a niche. <laughs> That could be how you make your money. <laughs> Maybe. I guess for what we're doing here, it's probably not, right? Because it's super unlikely that we're supporting a shop that's all Windows XP at this point. Um, yeah. All right. Well, good answer, Mr. Dominic. Good answer. All right. Next email comes in from not Matt's, and that's not Matt's with a Z. Oh, he's got a big old email with some good book recommendations, too. So... First, why don't I give uh, our uh, sponsor this week a plug, and that is Ting.com. Go over to CodaRadio.Ting.com. What is Ting? Well, it's my mobile service provider, and I'll tell you why. It's mobile that makes sense. No contract. No early termination fee. You only pay $6 a line. Now, think about that. CodaRadio.Ting.com is where you get started to get advantage, take advantage of this offer. $6 a line uh, means that if you have multiple devices that you need to test, you're not going to get charged these huge contract fees for something you're not getting value out of. And it also means that if you need a little flexibility, you've got it. It's built into the plan. They have amazing tools that give you total control. They also have excellent customer service, a great forum, and a super range of devices you can pick from, and more devices getting added all the time. CodaRadio.Ting.com gets you $25 off your first device. If you've already got a device, they give you $25 off your first month of service or so, however long that $25 lasts you. For me, it paid for my first month. And uh, you can also check out their savings calculator. So I plugged in my info last month. I used 500 minutes, 200 text messages, and 2 gigabytes of data. Now, I used my old bill price before I switched to Ting. was about $125 a month. When I hit calculate savings, Ting will run the numbers, and you'll see that over two years, I would have saved $1,800 by switching to Ting. And they graph it all out there for you right now. And don't forget, they also have an ETF relief program where they'll pay up to $75 per line that you have to get canceled. So that'll help you get out of that contract, and you can move into now a service where you don't have any contracts. You don't have to worry about them lowering that over you, holding you down like the jerks that they are. Ting is a no BS mobile service. And they've got a ton of great devices and a, and a really a great service. So go to coderadio.ting.com to get started. See what I've been talking about. And you can also give them a call if you have any questions. 1-855-846-4389. And if you call them like right now, like while we're recording this, anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern, a real person answers the phone and they are empowered to solve your problem. And check out the blog for updates on those new devices coming out soon. Coderadio.ting.com. And a really big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. All right, well, so I'm looking here at Rob's email, and he says, uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, that Rob, I'm looking at not Matt's, and that's with a Z. You gotta remember that. And guys, he's gonna list, he's gonna lift, uh, list off a couple of books. If you go find uh, not Matt's uh, book tip uh, email in our show notes, you get links to all of the books that he's about to mention here. So he says, hey guys, love the show. I never miss a beat, but I usually don't write in. But since recently, there's been some Ruby topics. I think it's a good time to remind people that Ruby does not equal Rails, and that it has many qualities on its own as a dynamic general purpose language. Uh, things like Puppet, and he links to uh, Puppet Labs on GitHub, and Chef, he links to that on GitHub. He says, I'm sure that most of the JB audience is aware of this, but a lot of people equate Rails to Ruby and the Rails community to the Ruby community. That's just simply not fair. Since Ruby is a general purpose language, just like Python, just more fun, he says, and I would like the community to look beyond Rails when discussing Ruby. As someone who has the program, in, as someone who has to program in C++ but hates it, Ruby is very refreshing language, and so I use it whenever I can. Anyways, I wanted to recommend Metaprogramming Ruby, 
which is a really good book looking at some metaprogramming concepts not often discussed in other books. And he links us to the book on Amazon. Again, that was called Metaprogramming Ruby. He says, Chris, you might also want to take a look at a book that I found most beginners find interesting, and it's not boring at all. Uh, it's called Programming Ruby. Programmers? I can't. The name doesn't show up in the URL. But I did check it out, and I put it on my wish list. Not Matt's. It looked good. So uh, thank you very much. And if you guys want to get links to the couple of books he recommends... You can find those in the show notes. And, you know, Mr. Dominic, when we got off the air a couple of weeks ago, you did make the point in the post show. You're like, yeah, I don't want people to think we're trying to equate, you know, Ruby as, you know, Ruby on Rails. Like, it's a separate thing. Like, you did make that comment, but I don't know if it ever made it into a show. So now we have it documented. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I know folks get upset about it, and I know uh, certainly I made the comment that they're not the same. But the reality is a very popular use of Ruby is Rails, right? and a lot of the time, some folks are Googling it. They really do mean Rails. But having said that, Ruby scripts are awesome for like your config scripts or just local desktop configurations. Now let me drink my coffee and uh, curl my mustache. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, we're moving right along. We're, we're whipping through the feedback this week. We are, we're on, we are like on uh, feedback overdrive. Uh, so Adam wrote in about Android development. He says, I'm a longtime listener and fan of the show. And he's also an Android fanboy. I argue that Android development and the whole platform is hard. From technical perspective, Android is the easiest thing to develop for I've ever seen. I'm an electrical engineer, not a software developer, but I can only say that video processing in C++ is hard. He's doing that right now. Fast imaging in C Sharp is hard. I've done that. And managing a lot of data in Python is hard. Creating something awesome like Scale Engine is hard. But Android... Android is very easy. The support is just state-of-the-art from Google. Lots of resources, tutorials, how-to, video examples, open-source libraries, and blogs about it. If this isn't enough, there are extensive and very helpful communities over G+, and Stack Overflow to turn to. I mean, check out my JB app. And he, re- he links us to Jupyter Broadcasting, a holo app, uh, holo, holo, which I've developed in my free time. I started doing it without any knowledge about Java and Android programming. All the problems that the platform has are addressed by Google and can be managed, like fragmentation or lots of low-end phones, if you take the time to just learn a little bit. The problem lies with the developers. The opinions formed by the statement of app developers, say 90% from iOS, uh, not are, are not they do, that does not come from Android developers. Uh, he says, and the iOS developers seem to just be a lot louder. There are too few Android fanboy developers who create great apps. New developers aren't entering this area because of this noise. I'm sick of apps being converted from iOS. I hate it when I see a gingerbread UI element because of laziness. And when they do these massacres, they lean back, observe that the performance is bad, that the UI is bad, and just say that Android is hard to develop for, and the system is S. I challenge you to come up with one app that is made available on iOS and Android. Consider it to be good at understanding the platform, similar price, and on iOS, it's a huge success, while on Android... It's a massive failure. I haven't heard of anything like this yet. Just moaning on misleading stats. What do you think? Thanks, Adam. So, do you think there's maybe some truth behind some of this? Mm, I think, you know, certainly programming Android versus iOS, the programming aspect of it's probably easier. Um, I would say that Android projects do present more difficulties with clients because of user interface issues. Um, I, I think what's happening is that you're never going to get a non-technical person to complain that your sort is, you know, 20 milliseconds slower than it ought to be, right? Because I can't tell. Uh, but they'll certainly complain that your UI is not pixel perfect to the Photoshop layout the designer made. Uh, yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, I... I happen to agree with the idea that Android's a bit more difficult than iOS in some ways. Um, I think iOS has the advantage of being, you know, a little better tooling for layouts. Uh, Even we're using IntelliJ, and it's just not quite where it needs to be in terms of layout tool, layout fidelity, things like that. You know, you could say that there's a strength in the relative layout system that Android uses. That's fine, but the problem is, Mobile designers for several years have now been trained to think that they can get these pixel-perfect designs. And saying no to that on either platform is is very, very challenging. 
that's all I got. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What a good, what a good, Mr. Dominic. What a good. And I, I think too, like anything you're comfortable with, you always see like, well, this isn't that bad. Right. Well, and the only thing I'd add too is if you're a developer and you're just doing a hobby project, yeah, Android's a lot easier because there's no once you get designers involved, I think iOS becomes immensely simpler. Because you also have the the hammer of Apple to protect you. Um you, know, you can't go crazy with your design because Apple might reject you. Which is actually one of my favorite things they do. So Are you being facetious? Uh because No, I, I no, that's a great I mean that will stop any kind of um, scope creep in terms of UX or in terms of you know unreasonable design changes mid-project. I don't believe you. It's true. <laughs> the Apple hammer. Everybody's afraid to get rejected by Apple. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I need to get in the time machine here, and I need to go back in time because uh, I'm pretty sure we have had some conversations where something got rejected over some pretty you know questionable right, reasons. It and can go either way. That's the problem, but. I don't love the way they enforce the policy, but the fact that the policy is there and something you can kind of have in your back pocket if you have maybe an over-eager junior design person that you have to deal with um, that wants to you know, reinvent the whole touch interface, just kind of whip that on the table. Say, this is the human interface guideline, and that's not in it. Whoa, what's going on? Are you having a party over there? Jeez, yeah, we're, we're, you were rocking out. It's, it's all the angry <laughs> developers here are pounding their desks. You do have like, a, you got, you got a little team over there now, don't you? Yeah, a bunch of angry folks. That's good, though. I mean, yeah. you guys are are you guys working on some super secret projects over there? What got going over there? We're working on uh, projects for a certain uh, Java based open source um, operating system. You're, no, you, why did you buy a Mac Mini then? You're lying to me. You're pulling. You're you're pulling my chain. I'm not pulling your chain. We we do a lot of Android. Uh, all right. Okay. Well, damn. Damn. Well, yes, I, I, know. Had you. I know. See, we have the Apple Action Show already in the chat room. I'm going to check out his app. He's got it up on uh, GitHub right now. So we have uh, Git. So he's a uh, Git. Let's see. Let's see. I wish GitHub had shorter URLs so they'd be easier to give it on air. Because I started to give it on and I realized that's just too long. <clears throat> yeah, there it is. He's got it up on GitHub right there. The Jupyter Broadcasting Android app. It lets you download stream shows from jupyterbroadcasting.com. Ooh, it yeah. looks good, too. It looks real good. And he's got he's got Chromecast support. Although he he mentioned in his email that he's having problems with uh, uh, Chromecast uh, and our HLS stream. So I'll look into that for him because I'm not sure. He's going full Google then. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Nick writes in, and he's conflicted deep down on the inside. He's just not sure what to do, uh, and uh, he wants to talk about Facebook's hack language, which we I think mentioned last week a little bit because it was like brand new when we talked about it last week. He says, okay, uh, so, so so let's just stop." It's a programming language with the word hack as the name. Yeah. Yeah. That's your first red flag. I know. Right there. I know. Yeah. I agree too. I, and I don't mean to be like that guy, but it, it really does kind of bug me. Uh, he says, uh, hey guys, love the show. I listen every week. I love the idea of hack because PHP needs fixing. I've long felt that PHP was waiting for its own version of CoffeeScript to fix its issues, but no such luck. Facebook has taken a different approach. But they seem to have solved some of the big problems, especially type system limitations, which keep us from having really good tooling. However, it scares me because it still feels like Facebook is trying to breathe life into a platform that really needs to die. I fear this might give PHP devs like me just enough relief to keep us under PHP's thumb for years. Wow. I'd much rather see someone start with a well-designed language like C-sharp or Vala and set about making the development and development story as compelling as PHP. No one really likes PHP, do they? They put up with it out of pragmatism. If any other language could boast that super simple code save refresh development cycle or the brain-dead easy Apache integration, I, for one, would dump PHP and never look back. Just my two cents. Keep up the great show. P.S. My DigitalOcean droplet will probably soon have Facebook's hack stack deployed on it. <laughs> I also want to have DigitalOcean's babies. <laughs> Nice, Nick. So, um, yeah, that last bit I'm not going to touch with the 50 foot pole. What about this? Hold it. What about uh, hack keeping uh, developers like uh, Nick under PHP's thumb for years? That's, yeah, that's... I don't know. I mean, hack frightens me for a, a different reason. I, I didn't think of PHP as some sort of drug that Nick is addicted to. <laughs> uh, he's, I'm, he's, I'm, he's addicted to that pragmatism. Yeah, I, I'm more afraid of the, uh, you know, Facebook hasn't been super good about maintaining their open source uh, projects for other people. Uh. What happens if 
they just changed their mind in like a year. Yeah, that was my concern too. Yeah. I, I, you know, realistically, I, I don't see it happening because if you're going to get a whole group of people trained up on something, you're going to integrate it into your business. You're going to really kind of base your platform around it. You right. kind of have to stay committed. I mean, at that I mean, point. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it. I, I mean, I definitely understand the advantages of hack over PHP. I just, it, to me, it, it sets off the danger, danger robot. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I would. Nick. I would either stick with your PHP, though I'm loath to tell you that, or do something else. I can't believe how much. Yeah. Uh, I, I. I don't know. I, I'm really PHP. It continues to get a lot of crap, but yet so many people continue to use it. I just. It seems like the biggest disconnect I, I think I've witnessed in this show. Where uh, it gets a lot of crap, a lot of crap, and then people go get a job done. Like, well, we're going to use PHP. Right, because it can get a lot done fast. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Speaking of getting a lot done fast, uh, I should I should probably mention it since Nick brought it up. DigitalOcean is sponsoring this week's episode of Coder Radio. Now, I love my DigitalOcean droplet just like Nick. I would consider having its babies, too, if that was such a thing. DigitalOcean, if you're not familiar with it, is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. And pricing plans start at only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, a CPU, and one terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. Their interface is simple with an intuitive control panel, which power users can replicate on a larger scale using their straightforward API. But here's the best part. We're going to give you two months for free. And there's a lot you can do in two months for free if you use the promo code Coder Radio March. Coder Radio March will get you two months of DigitalOcean at that $5 droplet, and uh, I think you'd be pretty impressed with what you can find different use cases for a, a cloud server up in the uh, cloud. I set up a uh, little IRC daemon recently just so that way I have one central spot to connect to. And it has made such an improvement in my IRC communication. So now I've got things up there like a chat server that makes a lot. What I'm finding is, is I've, got a, I've got a sync server up there. I've got a little calendar server up there. I've got all these things that I've needed to solve a problem I've needed to solve for a long time now that I didn't really, I didn't, the piece that was missing was the DigitalOcean droplet. Like once that went in, it clicked like, oh, wait a minute. Now all of my mobile devices when I'm out on the go can connect and sync to this. Now I can move stuff between my house and my new studio and I can have the same stuff in both locations. Like it has, I would say every month I have had a holy crap moment with my DigitalOcean droplet where I realized I can use it for this. And the awesome thing is, is DigitalOcean is really straightforward on their pricing structure. So if I ever felt like, you know what, I'm going to need to sort of move this up to the next level, well, I would just go from the $5 a month system to the $10 a month system. And I would have no problem doing that because even one of the things I have now elected for my DigitalOcean droplet to, to do for me is worth $5. Just one of them has been such an incredible boost for me that I would pay $5 for one thing. And you can use DigitalOcean as back-end infrastructure for your app, for your website. Some of the biggest sites on the web run off DigitalOcean. You can also use these droplets to train yourself because they have built-in imaging snapshot and backups. So you can try something out. If it goes haywire, you just restore that image right back where you were at. You can continue working. The SSD drives absolutely make a difference, and they're tiered with they're paired with uh, DigitalOcean's Tier 1 bandwidth. I got to tell you, I, I was doing an update on my system the other day, and I, I could not believe the performance I was getting. DigitalOcean has easy one-click application installs. You don't have to worry about setting up WordPress or LAMP stack via the command line. You can do one-click application installs. They have Fedora, Arch, Ubuntu. They have different versions of, uh, they have 32 and 64-bit of those distributions. They have all kinds of great features and some great security, too, including uh, two-factor authentication, uh, auto backup and snapshots, DNS management, a web console that gives you full console access to your DigitalOcean droplet in HTML5, and you can get up and running in just 55 seconds. There's so many great reasons to check out DigitalOcean, but if you use the promo code Coder Radio March, you'll get two months for free. Coder Radio March. Coder Radio 
March. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and try them out. See what we've been talking about. Mr. Dominic uses them for his backend on a lot of his apps. I've been using them now for backend server infrastructure. We've gotten emails from folks that are using them for client apps, using them to, to train themselves. It's There's so many great things. And with two months, why not try it out and see what you can do? DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERADIOMARCH. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. And I just want to make a quick note, too. Uh, they are actively hiring. DigitalOcean is just, they're blowing up these days. And they've got a lot of new positions open. So you can go check out some of their open spots over at DigitalOcean.com. Thanks, DigitalOcean. We really appreciate it. It's a really great service. And we've heard so many great stories, too, from our audience. If you're using a DigitalOcean droplet out there for something really cool, send it in to us. I'd like to hear about it. Um, I You know, one last little public service announcement I wanted to make. Uh, we are at episode 95 right now. And that means we're just five weeks away from episode 100. And that's how time math works. And th- we've had some people say, hey, you guys should do a shirt. You know, hey, you guys should do like a hoodie or something. And that would be neat. But what we really wanted to do was like a coffee mug or a beer stein, something a little different for Coda Radio. Now, the problem is, is I'm not really familiar with any... Any really good online fulfillment services that do that? Because if we do it, we want to make it high quality. So if you run one or you know of one that will do like glassware and ship it and it won't actually get broken and they'll do high quality prints and let us upload our logo, I would love to hear about it. So go over to Jupiter Broadcasting, click the contact link, choose Coder Radio from the drop down and uh, let us know about your uh, about your swag outlet because we'd love to do something for episode 100 and... Uh, Maybe you can help us out with that. Okay, Mr. Dominic, let's tr- let's shift gears. Let's talk about our dev hoopla. Hoopla. Uh, I, I had a, I had a little article that um, I found over the weekend. It was a piece for written for Medium. Holy crap, man! Did this did this totally like set off every bell in my head for uh, what what life was like as a contractor? And so I just wanted to go over this with you to see yes. if, see if you have experienced some of this. The title of the article is. Why your previous developer was terrible and why your current one seems so amazing. Actually, you know what? Quota Radio Jacket Swan would be really cool. Quota Radio. But see, it's almost summertime. I think a coffee mug would be the way to go. So we, people may or may not be familiar with this phenomenon, but here they sum it up really good. So you just hired a new developer for a project you're working on. And since she seems to have solved all of your problems since you've hired her, she's been on the job for three days and she's already suggesting upgrades for five of your libraries, reorganized your uh, gyra issues. And at every turn, she seems to validate your choice in hiring her. She's found eight bugs that were glaring and would have caused a critical meltdown. How yep. terrible was your previous developer that he couldn't have spotted any of this? Yep. She's baffled by the decision to use XYZ framework and doesn't understand why she chose to use Postgres instead of CouchDB for this particular application. She complains that the lack of a CDN is costing you hours and needless content serving. How could you have been so blind not to see any of this? Well, it wasn't your job, right? That was your previous developer's job, and he seems to yeah. have failed so miserably. Have you run into this? I, I've run into this, and this is actually a, uh, a thing I try to avoid when I'm the new contractor. <laughs> yes. There is a severe temptation when you're new on a project and replacing somebody else. To blame. To not just blame, but use that as a way to kind of inflate the contract, right? If you came into a small, and I've seen people do this all the time, uh, they come in, oh, okay, we're going to do your Rails backend. Oh, but your whole CDN's messed up too, so... You know, give us that. Well, let's just add the hours. Don't worry about it. It's an ongoing thing. Yeah, there's a little bit of um, so there's two things that are happening, right? One, it, it's very easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and say that the things that were done in the heat of the moment were stupid, and this is why with hindsight. Yeah. So there is legitimate – there's always in every project the original people always do something wrong. Well, so this article says it's the curse of the present. Right. Yeah, they go on to say the situation isn't unique. I've seen it time and time again. A developer comes in to change everything almost overnight. She or he suggests new tools, new processes, new languages, new everything. All of this while badmouthing the previous development team. And it's because, you know, you're sitting at a point when that thing had to be created, or in my case, when that infrastructure had to be built, there there were so many questions. You know, it was right. the fog of war. You were you were making decisions in the fog of war, and then when somebody comes in a year later and, you know, they get to see all of the flaws that were made. And I have been, I have come in to work on a system and I have thought, 
I seriously thought of like, how is this possible? How did they make this decision? What were they thinking? And well, yeah, I mean, the problem is like nine out of ten times, the reason those bad decisions got made was the guy who hired you, almost always, right? You know, I've seen this pattern where there's a lot of pressure to, by the time a company brings in any contractor, they're already at the point where they need to ship. And if they don't get very fast, very visible results, they start pushing harder. And a lot of the times, a lot of people, and you know, everybody has done this, will ship a solution quickly with the, hey, this is a temporary thing. This is like a beta, right? Don't put this in production. And what does the client do? Right, they put it in production. They hit that production switch so fast it'd make your head spin. Or sometimes, you know, you have to make decisions when certain technologies aren't ready yet, and then you know right. you get down the road and those technologies have matured and they just seem like the obvious choice. This this author says, you know, you're cursed with the knowledge of the present, so the system seems like a hack job of bad decisions whenever you're looking at it from that standpoint. And I have also been on the other end of this. Where I had a client for years, one of my best clients ever, close to home, uh, three-year contract, I think it was, just great. And then uh, they got bought out, and they decided to hire a full-time IT uh, director. And so they replaced me with him. And he systematically sort of just, anytime something needed to... Anytime something went bad, blame it on the previous contractor. Blame it on the last guy. And so a lot of... well. you know, he bought this system over here and it's just not that good. I would never have bought that, that kind of stuff. And then I'll, then I would get like, I would get little, little notes passed to me like, Hey, did you know this guy's saying this about you? And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like it's this tendency to, to sort of capitalize on this period of time you have when you come into a contract or you come into a new job where you're immune. Yeah, exactly. And so you capitalize on that by when something bad happens, defer, you know, deflect. Right. Well, also I, you know, I've seen particularly, especially working with like other small dev shops, other small dev consulting shops, a lot of people use that first period as a license to kill. I mean, they're just, you know, I've seen, I, I've been in meetings, you know, where there's another contracting company working on the contract too, let's say on the back end, and they just, you know, they said, I know, you know, we were doing 40 hours a week with one guy, but just the state of this, we need to bring in another guy. And I'm like, oh, okay, so this is how we make our margins. Okay. Um, it, it's it's brutal and it's tough because if you put yourself in the decision maker's shoes, all he's hearing are bad things, right? And he had no way during the previous contractor's tenure to verify anything he was told. So, yeah, he's out of luck. Yeah, and it it is it is a problem that I think you know the only fix to is if each of us stop doing it. Uh, they see, he goes on to say another reason developers tend to blame the previous developers because, well, to put simply, it's easy. Previous yeah. developers no longer has to justify their actions, and they're not there to defend themselves. So blaming him is super easy. If a developer doesn't want to work very hard or solve a particular problem, it's far easier to blame something inherent in the system rather than the laziness. And when the boss asks, what's the timeline on whatever, it's easy and convenient to say, well, normally, you know, normally it would only take about two weeks, but since we're dealing with an older version of you know, insert name of right, legacy issues. Yeah. It'll probably take a month. You know, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, I, I know I have been there. I know I have done this kind of thing. Yeah. And, I've been on both sides of this and I, you know, I don't know if this is just kind of problem with the system with how these contracts tend to work. Cause there are times when legitimate legacy issues do cause scope creep, do cause an increase in cost, Right. I can't imagine if you, if you're a consultant yourself, and you, every time you go into a legacy situation, you increase the cost. Are you sure that's legitimate, or is that just a sales tactic? Yeah, and and uh, you know, there's also the client or the employer. A bit of blame can go their direction because you know you just hired this new developer for a reason. After a series of interviews, some coding tests, and whatnot, you finally hired this person. Yep. Now this person has to justify that they're worthwhile. Developers tend to think that a great way to do this is by making big changes early on, implementing all sorts of processes that don't need to be implemented, and introducing all sorts of tools that no one else on the team has heard of. I've seen countless permutations of this behavior where a developer will come around and say, hey, how about using Pivotal? Uh, uh, how bad is using Pivotal is, and now we need to use Gyra, or they can't believe we're yep. still using Subversion, how we should move to Git. 
Well, that's 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 actually fine. No, yeah. that one's not. <laughs> that yeah. one's just that one's no problem. That one's a no problem. Wait. Uh, it says uh, goes on to say it justifies the knowledge and hopefully impresses you, oh glorious boss. And of course, the well, boss well, wants to be the boss wants to be confirmed in their selection of a new person. Right, and it, it, I, I think in these cases, there's a little bit of the yeah, you know, you're new to a project, you know they're going to be checking those invoices for that first month or two. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, all right, so are we at the point where you're just going to pay the invoice blind? Um, having said that, you know, I understand the temptation. But if you keep good notes on what you've been doing, mm-hmm. and you're on a long-term contract, you will eventually be called into, so what have you been billing us for exactly? This is why notes are so super important. Right. And then that doesn't have to be a confrontational call. It's just... Well, this is what was done. This is what you know. This is what we thought it would take. This is what it ended up taking. These are the issues. And if you're honest with it, you have no problems. Yeah. Now, if you start doing stuff like this article, and actually, I did. This came up in my site feed. Actually, I forgot I had read it a couple of days ago. Um, where you take you know the first month of a contract and just chill out and blame the last guy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Then you you have problems, and I think you're kind of a bad person. <laughs> no offense, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen it happen where people just slack off but, for a month. Okay, and, so let's flip yeah. it. Though. But you've also been into a place where the previous guy really did screw things up, right? So here's the case. Though. In that case, I'm super careful to write up, you know, and people have made fun of me because I, I write up formal reports, formal documents on all the issues. And here's why. Because if you're billing this person by the hour, one day someone's going to hire a new PM or a new IT director or even an accountant who's going to say, Whoa! You just sent me an invoice for you know sixty hours. Justify this invoice. Hmm. I mean, it's like anything else, right? If you hire a guy to come in, you know, I live in a hundred-year-old house, and um, I'm getting married. My future wife would love to redo the bathroom, right? If that guy says it's you know three thousand dollars to redo your bathroom, and then the day he starts, oh, it's twenty. Well, he's going to need something to back that up. Or I'm going to think he's yanking my chain, right? It's all about taking notes. And I know we have a lot of young people in the audience who are just doing freelancing. If you don't have notes, here's what happens to you. Even if you're right, even if you're not doing what this article states, they can say that they think you cooked your invoices and they'll just settle on their own terms. Yeah, I've I as I've gone on have tried to stop the bad mouthing thing. And one of the yeah. things so one of the things I have considered to be my specialty in contracting is getting in and getting in the head of the previous guy and being like, right. okay, what was he thinking when he did this? Because my first reaction is very visceral. Like, um it's a little diva, to be honest with you. I yeah. I don't want to deal with this crap. I shouldn't have to work in these conditions. These morons screwed this up, and this isn't the kind of work I want to do. Screw this. I'm out of here. And I have to I have to take that like that immediate like visceral reaction. I have to push it way way down and go. Okay, I know this guy was a smart guy, and so I I know that he did this. He must have done this for a reason, even if it's incredibly inconvenient today. And if I could just work it back, I can kind of understand. And so that's that's the rational approach I try to take. And then, you know, I I mean, I I can't say I'm I've never bad mouthed the previous guy, especially in my earlier years. Yeah, uh, I've done it. And you know, maybe even now today, like if something really was really cocked up, like I'll give you an example. Like there's these this last client I had where you know the systems if the systems restart after a power failure, which you know happens at this place. Um, nothing started up improperly or things started up in the wrong order and he just never got around to fixing it. That's he like was just always, he would just always be there to fix it. So he would just, he would just all start it up manually. But then one day he just walked out in a huff and you know, did, nothing was written down. Nothing was documented. Nothing was right. noted that genuinely. And then, so when the system had a power, when the system had a power crash, I didn't even know this was the case because the systems had never been restarted. And so here I am sitting in my house, I get a phone call. Hey, we had a power outage. Nothing's working. What do you mean? Nothing's working. Shouldn't you know, everything's up and running, right. right? You know that. It's like, oh well, yeah. So and so didn't set things to auto start. I'll, I'll try not to. to well, that, that's an extreme case. I yeah. Mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, that's like okay. That really yeah. was a mess up, right? I mean, so that's the, understandable. The cases, the cases I'm more thinking of is like when I come into a shop and, or more in the past because I'm doing less of that kind of thing now, but more in the past of, you know, I don't love PHP, right? But. I would. I used to go do a lot of work with this Rails guy who would go in and be like, oh, well, it's because you're using PHP. 
That was his answer for everything. <laughs> like, I'm feeling a little sick today. Yeah, that PHP bug's going around, man. I don't, you know, did you drink plenty of fluids and uh, have us some chamomile tea? Oh, man, that PHP. And, and, but he would just, like, he had articles of people ragging on PHP, and he would email them to clients. Like he just—he was on a campaign. It was on a campaign yeah. because he figured what he was selling was. I'm. He would always make it look like the situation was worse than it was, and he's he's coming in like Jesus and saving you. Right, that was his thing. Well, so the uh, the author on this medium piece writes up and says, "Be the hero in the long run by being a right. solid team player that makes good judgment calls when you can. Don't be the short term hero that throws people under the bus." You'll probably get away with it, but we won't like you very much, the developer community, if you do. Now, granted, there are certain cases where previous developer was truly a terrible developer. In those cases, make the stakeholders aware of everything all at once, rather as a convenient excuse for whenever you can't or don't want to do something. There's also cases where I've been in organizations where someone's asked to work on a platform they've never worked on before. So they make lots of mistakes that are just because they haven't done it before. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what are it's you the first just, time, yeah. What are you going to do? Just sit there and like hate on this guy for, you know, I've I've had a case where I was doing an iOS project and they got the .NET guy to try and do it. Mm. It was a memory leak fest because mm. this is pre pre arc, and I just said we need to rewrite a lot of this, and you know there were some issues, and that's it. But you do it up front, you make them aware of it, and you you don't, especially if the guy is like an employee there and still working there, you don't just hate you hate them all day. Oh right? yeah, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You just let it go. Um, that's dangerous territory when the guy's still there. <laughs> well, a lot of the times you're you're replacing an employee who's been kind of sidelined, and that's you know we we talked about the uh, the political things that can go on when companies bring in a contractor and some of the issues. It's I don't know, Chris. As, as I've been doing this for more years, I I, I kind of um, get fed up with that whole yeah in political infighting at the clients. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm happy that right now I have no clients that are like that. Yeah. It's but, just a huge drag. Yeah, there was one from about a year ago in particular that sticks out that was... Have you seen the Game of Thrones? No, but I've heard awful lot. It was, was kind of like that. <laughs> it, everybody was gunning for the CEO of the company's job, and it was just like... Wow. The poor guy... It was a smaller company, about 50 people. The yeah. poor guy couldn't get a break. Yeah. You know, there was back dealings, and the CTO wanted to be the CEO. It was like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. And so, dear Quota Radio listener... Don't don't be a d bag. Try to change this trend. I mean, you know, you know call like it is, but don't blame. That's what should be on the coffee mugs. Don't Go be to a radio th- episode one hundred. Don't be a dick. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to give. I want to save everybody some money uh, before we talk about our next topic. Our next topic actually led to some folks getting death threats. But first, I want to thank GoDaddy.com because we have a special two ninety five dot com deal that wraps up pretty much probably. In the next couple of days, I think it's probably inventory related, but you've only got a couple of days to get a 295.com when you use the promo code 295coder over at GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy is the world's number one domain name registrar. And if you are working with clients, if you are working with a group of people, if you just want to have something that you can get back and manage years down the road, GoDaddy is the gold standard in domain name registrar. Simply put, every time I go into a client, if they're using GoDaddy, I know everything's okay. I know we're going to have control over that domain. If they're on something weird, some esoteric name service, then we're going to have a problem. And generally, it has always worked out that way in my experience. Because really, when you go with the gold standard, you're going to have a good time. And now you can get a .com for $2.95, 295 coder when you check out. Additional years, only $9.99. And then also additional .coms. So throw them in that, just throw them in there and get a great deal over GoDaddy.com. And by the way, a little trick for you. Since this 295 coder promo code will only, be, will only be good for a couple more days, here's what I do. If I know I might need a .com for something down the road, I buy it today with this great deal, and then I just use the GoDaddy's uh, DNS management control panel to set up forwarding. And I just forward it to another URL. Maybe it's like some crazy long Google Plus URL, or just to my own site. Maybe I get a little SEO action there while I have this set up. That way, it's still useful. I uh, I just, for example, recently spun up a new VPS. I was like, you know what I need? I need to just get a .com for that to make it easier so I don't have to keep plugging in the IP address. Two ninety five coder. I got it for $2.95. It's a crazy great deal. So go over to GoDaddy.com, enter the promo code 295coder when you check out and see what I've been talking about. I got so many domains right now. It's crazy. I'm like, I'm like, if domains were currency, I'm domain rich. They should make a cryptocurrency based on domains. So that way I could not name coin, but something else, something based on the actual domain names themselves. That way I could be domain name rich. 
It's all I'm asking for. It's like my own little piece of real estate on the internet. Two ninety five quarter when you check out, and a big thank you to GoDaddy for the longtime support of the Coda Radio program. Mr. Dominic, I want to talk about Oculus VR. I know this has been talked a lot, but I feel like there's so much to talk about here. And I don't know if you heard about this, but there was actually some Oculus VR employees that after this acquisition was announced, received death threats from folks on the internet. People actually got death threats thrown in their direction for this. Yeah, so, you know what, I, I saw this was in the show notes, which, by the way, me and Chris totally prepared collaboratively, and I didn't, like go to the Apple store this morning and just <laughs> notice I had a show note email from Chris. I can, I can assure you that that's not what happened. Oh, you know what? I, uh, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> Poor Chris. Um, so what really struck me is how angry early backers or early supporters of, of – that was Oculus Rift the name of the company as well? Uh, uh, Oculus VR is the name of the company. Oculus Rift is the product. Okay, so how the early backers of uh, Oculus VR, just how upset they are. Because, I mean, Chris, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can follow me down this train. You know, I back a project or a group of people, and they do well in the end. Am I not happy? Well, um, you know, people thought they were backing. I think what people thought they were backing was an independent game peripheral maker who was going to be... um, open to any game on any platform, Xbox, Steam, PC, anything. And now people are worried that they weren't necessarily backing a particular iteration of the VR headset. They were backing the concept of an of an of a new peripheral maker coming to the market who would be open to everyone. Now did the Oculus people ever promise to not take acquisition offers? No. No, I know this is this is a problem with Kickstarter. Is there's a right. lot of assumptions people are making when they're clicking that button, you know? Right. So and, I mean, I, I could see being a little annoyed that you basically became a angel investor who was never compensated for his investment. Um, but you also probably only invested like ten bucks. <laughs> so unless you're Notch, and then you invested uh, ten thousand dollars, and then publicly berated them for the switch and canceled your your project. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to criticize someone for taking a billion dollar sellout deal. When Two billion dollars. Two billion dollar sellout deal when you've made billions on your own. I mean, it's oh, so hey. um, you know what I think it is. Can I just jump right to the to the chase of it? Hit it, baby. I think I think people have no freaking idea what it takes to bring a product like this to the market. I so think you're right. I yeah. think I think part of the problem is is Oculus was playing it cool this whole time. They're all like, look how far we've gotten, tons of good PR. They're at they're at all like they're at packs and all these types of things, showing it off. They're talking about all this stuff, and they weren't really talking about how the fact that they were fighting tooth and nail out of every single situation. They were literally scraping all of the spare parts from the mobile industry they possibly could to assemble this headset, and they couldn't get anybody to make something for them. And who they could make, get something to make, they couldn't make it at the scale they would need down the road. And they have all of these problems, and yet they have an amazing team. They have an awesome team with guys like John Carmack and three or four of the VR guys have left Valve and joined Oculus. They got all the right components for an amazing recipe, and yet they can't get their hands on the goods because they're small time. They don't have a big presence in the market, and they don't have a deep pocketbook. And so the problem they had is I don't think they were ever going to actually be able to deliver on the vision fully at the scale we all expected. Facebook comes along. Facebook comes along and says, you know what? And actually, let's just let's not even call it Facebook. I truly believe it was Zuckerberg. And I'm not one of these guys who puts a like a lot on the CEO. Like I think we put way too much on Jobs. I think people put way too much on Bomber. Now uh, Office is out for iOS. Everybody says, "Oh, it's the Sache Nadella uh, revolution." BS. They've been working wait, wait, on wait, Office wait, for the I, iPad I, I, forever. I, 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 no, Chris, I'm sorry. Sache Nadella stayed up, didn't sleep for two weeks, and soloed. Three apps in two weeks of that quality. So that's we, what happened. So we too often, we too often like put all of all of like the responsibility and the vision on the CEO yeah. and, and act like it's one person that's at this whole company. But I think in this case, I think it was legitimately Zuckerberg. And according to Carmack, in a, in a comment he made on a blog, he said, "You know, last week I was spent the afternoon talking to Zuckerberg about VR, and then the next week I found out he bought us." So I think what happened was is. Zuck said, hey, guys, um, 
we totes almost totally missed the boat on mobile, and we had to do this major make good to to make mobile uh, profitable for us. And that could have been the end of Facebook if we had screwed that up too much. I don't want that to happen with the next platform. And I think what's likely to happen with Oculus is now they're going to have money. They're also going to have a foot in the door when they need to get in to talk to somebody important or they need to make some sort of big OEM partnership or something like that. They're going to have a much bigger stick to swing. And I think that cannot be understated when you're trying to push forward a brand new type of technology like this. And this is finally VR done right. And I think initially their focus will be gaming because if you get this sucker dialed in for gaming, it's going to pretty much be able to handle everything else. If you can yeah. do first-person shooters, you're going to be able to do Skype calls, right? Yeah. And I think they see this as a full-fledged, creepy-ass, worldwide VR MMO powered by Facebook down the road. That's probably like the 10-year vision, right? But the five-year vision is video games. And I don't think this thing could actually come to market in the way we want without money bags. It's just... This is the world we live in. If if nothing else, Facebook can help protect them from patent trolls that will inevitably crop up as they get more successful, right? Just having a patent troll shield, if nothing else, will save this company from being squashed by the incumbents. And I think that's what cannot be understa- understated here, is this is, yeah. for them, this is a huge backer. So playing devil's advocate, though, um, I mean, in the chat room, it's going a little crazy. One of the issues is that and I, I actually do agree with you. But I think the other side is basically we're not going to have another Google. We're not going to have another Microsoft. We're not going to have even another Facebook if these companies who, who are just getting out of that really small, tiny phase when they're about to expand into you know medium-sized companies are always bought up by one of the big guys. And that seems to be what's happening, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that necessarily tr- a true premise? I mean, are all these companies being bought up by the big guys? I don't know. I mean, Dropbox told Apple to shove it. Well, I think right. what you have is you have a new paradigm that gets created. People come in, they get big in that space. They own that paradigm for its existence. And then new ones are created. And that's where the opportunity for right. new companies. I Because mean, this has been – I mean, look at, look at uh, Google and Microsoft. They've been buying up – and Apple, all the big players have been buying up these little guys for years, for years. Uh, but we've still seen some incredible indie innovations. I think some things are okay to go at it on your own and some things – I mean, they want to – Oculus wants to transform a massively entrenched industry. They want to take gaming off of the screen and the TV and they want to put it in a headset. And then later on, they want to use it for doctor's appointments and school training and things like that. I, I, I just, I, I think it's so naive to think that they could have done this on their own. And I, I wish it wasn't the case because yeah, I, truly, I, 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 I don't like that it's Facebook. But who would you rather have been? Would you rather it was EA? I think the only company maybe that I'd be more comfortable with is Valve. But to be honest, I don't want this even locked down to Valve stuff. And I don't think Valve is playing in quite the same field as Google, Apple, and Microsoft. Um, or I Facebook. Say, yeah, I would say they're a tier below. Um, and I at least initially take Facebook at their word they're not going to screw with it for a while. Well, I think it has to do with what is Facebook. Is Facebook now is Facebook still a social web company? Mm-mm. Or is Facebook becoming some sort of tech holdings company? Yes. I mean, should you know, like, is this... Is this Mark Zuckerberg's family company that just owns a bunch of Yeah, this is Zuckerberg businesses. going, you know what? I got a bunch of fake funny money. Right. Because my stock is, price, yep. So right. he's looking at this. He's going, you know what? I just went public. I got all this fake funny money. Now is my time. I don't – so and I think it's genius because instead of waiting until Facebook is obviously on the other side of the growth trend where people are all speculating, oh, Facebook is coming. You know, It's slowing down. It's not going to be the top dog. Well, why wait for that? Why pull a Microsoft? Why wait right. around and then say, you know, five years later, oh, you know what we ought to do? We ought to redo our mobile OS. That's what we ought to do. And then you miss the boat, right? Facebook doesn't want – Zuck doesn't want that to happen. So he's getting in on this because he watched that almost happen to him with mobile. Right. If you guys look at some of the uh, pre-public statements, like Facebook was all saying, like, if we don't figure out monetization on mobile, we are boned. And they, they haven't even fully turned it around yet. They are now profitable on mobile and it's making them money. But this is this has been an ongoing thing that they are still recovering from after two years of trying to write that train. Um, and I think he just saw this as like, 
So this looks like it has potential. Uh, I can get on this now for a steal, $2 billion for Zuck with funny money. I mean, it's only like actual actual right, money. It's like only $300 million. And that, that's the catch, right? You you hear the $16 billion for WhatsApp and, and $2 billion for, uh, for Oculus. The vast majority of this is not cash. This is not U.S. dollars. This is, I mean, I'm not a stockbroker, but what seems to be pretty inflated Facebook stock, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly what it is. And I'll be honest, I am worried about the data mining potential. Of course. But if Google had bought them, I'd be worried about the same thing. You know what I'm more worried about, though? Mm. The, the day someone, you know, from the Wall Street Journal gets up and his coffee is a little cold and says, you know what, I'm shorting Facebook stock. And then they lose half the value overnight. What happens to these little hobby projects like Oculus Rift? Well, that's when they have to turn the screws and start to get a right. little more involved. Right, and that's when you get into the scary situations because Facebook is a very rich company, but a lot of their riches are on paper, not cash, yes. not U.S. dollars. Right, right. Yeah. Well, in five days, I mean, so Oculus had been had managed to raise two point five million from Kickstarter, and then they got seventy five million in additional venture capital. Okay, and in five days, they managed to make all of that money look like a tiny, itsy-bitsy drop in the bucket. And it's not just about that initial $2 billion purchase, right? It's, it's about, hey, we're ready to ship Oculus VR version 1.0, and we need $500 million to help our manufacturing partner revamp all of their manufacturing equipment. And now they have that kind of option, right? Whereas before, they didn't have that leverage. I just can't get past that. And maybe they split off into their own. Maybe, you know, Carmack and, and, and a small team eventually go off and hey, take everything they've learned here and re-implement something. Or maybe Facebook stays true to their word and doesn't screw with this thing. But I, I just don't get the death threats. I don't get the demands for refund. I just, I mean, come on, people. Grow up. I mean, I know you're upset. I am too. I'm bummed by it. But at the end of the day, I actually think Oculus VR has a way better shot of becoming an actual product now. And in fact, Valve's top VR guy just left late last week after the acquisition announcement because he said, he said, this means it's actually going to happen now. He says, now I can actually spend the rest of my life working on VR. And, and he left Valve after this acquisition because of the acquisition. And I think that is when you have people who know like Carmack and these and these valve guys, these people know what the hell they're talking about. And they're saying this is good. I, in fact, this is so good. I'm going to quit my awesome ass job at Valve, which is like the dopest place in the world to work. And I'm going to go work for Oculus. That's a statement. So. I, for one, am not totally thrilled, but I think we now have a better shot of this thing becoming a reality. And if you haven't read Ready Player One. You should go read Red, Red, Ready Player One because uh, so far we're going right down the path of that book. And uh, I think uh, I think John Carmack will eventually leave a secret hidden Easter egg in the game. And then he passes many years from now. He'll have a message that gets emailed to all of us telling us where that Easter egg could be. And then we will have a worldwide MMO Easter egg hunt. That's all. That's all. Okay. Oh, okay, then. Uh <laughs> You got to read Ready Player One to get the joke. I guess I do. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to cover in this week's episode of Coda Radio? No, I think we're good. I think we should do something special for next week, though. Oh, yeah? What do you want to do? 96. It feels like a special year, doesn't it? Maybe we should put up a, uh, I don't know, a Kickstarter for fingertip tech, and then I can sell it to Facebook. How about that? I think this is a great idea. In fact, I don't, I, know, I don't even think you need a shipping product, apparently. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to have a product. You know, you know, uh, it's interesting. So Oculus goes for $2 billion. What right. was WhatsApp? It was like... $16 billion. And, and it's just amazing. Right. It's amazing. You know what? And I'm not greedy. I'll take like, you know, $200 million. I mean, yeah, you don't have to have like, $2 billion. You know, I mean, that'd be yeah, nice, but... I just let Mark know $200 million would do the job. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, you know, he, 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 but he has to take me on a walk. It doesn't need to be a long walk. You know, I want to get uh, some feedback from the folks out there on the uh, topic we covered regarding the blaming the old guy, you know, coming in and, and putting it all on him. Yes. I'd like, to, I'd like yes. to hear your stories, your thoughts on that. Um, 
any any dissenting points of view are always welcome, including any dissenting reasons on why Facebook buying Oculus VR is truly the worst thing to happen to gamers ever. Just go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click that contact link. Choose Code Radio from the drop down and let us hear your thoughts. Mr. Dominic, where should people follow you throughout the week? Fingertiptech.com. Oh, finger, or fingertip.technology. Technology yeah. Works too. yeah. Oh, yes. crazy though. You can also follow me on the tweeters. I am uh, twitter.com slash chrislas. And don't forget, Coda Radio is live on Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. We'd love to have you over there. JBLive.tv for the video or JBLive.info for the audio. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>